Greetings, friends. It's October 22nd, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide. This is our 295th day on our journey through all 66 books of the Bible, reading progressively from both the Old and New Testaments, and stopping to make some observations so as not to miss each passage's important features. My name is David McAdam, and it is a joy to be with you. We are continuing to read the prophet Jeremiah today. We have seen in Jeremiah's sufferings someone suffering the reproach of one identified with the revealed will of God is a foreshadowing of the sufferings of Christ. And today we will read the sad story of the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. We will be starting the 16th book of the New Testament today, Paul's second letter to Timothy, his son in the faith. This is Paul's last letter written shortly before his death. His last words are very moving and I pray that we will take them to heart. Let's get started where we left off yesterday in the Old Testament. We will begin with Jeremiah chapter 39, and we will read through to the end of chapter 41. And I am reading from the English Standard Version. The Fall of Jerusalem Jeremiah chapter 39 In the ninth year of Zedekiah king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate, Negalsar-Ezar of Shamgar, Nebusar-Sechem, the Rab-Saris, Negalsar-Ezar, the Rab-Mag, with all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah king of Judah and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden, through the gate, between the two walls, and they went toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes, and the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted to him, and the people who remained. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. The Lord delivers Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, look after him well, and do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, the Rabsaris, Nergalsar-Ezer, the Rabmag, and all the chief officers of the king of Babylon, sent and took Jeremiah from the court of the guard. They entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, that he should take him home. So he lived among the people. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. Go and say to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good and they shall be accomplished before you on that day. 
But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war, because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. Chapter 40 Jeremiah Remains in Judah The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah, when he took him bound in chains along with all the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. The captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God pronounced this disaster against this place. The Lord has brought it about and has done as he said. Because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice, this thing has come upon you. Now behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you well. But if it seems wrong to you to come with me to Babylon, do not come. See, the whole land is before you. Go wherever you think it good and right to go. If you remain, then return to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon appointed governor of the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever you think it right to go. So the captain of the guard gave him an allowance of food and a present, and let him go. Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, at Mizpah, and lived with him among the people who were left in the land. When all the captains of the forces in the open country and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, governor in the land, and had committed to him men, women, and children, those of the poorest of the land who had not been taken into exile to Babylon, they went to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, Jehanan, the son of Kareah, Sariah, the son of Tahumeth, the son of Ephi, the Netophathite, Jezaniah, the son of the Maakathite, they and their men, Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, swore to them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. As for me, I will dwell at Mizpah to represent you before the Chaldeans who will come to us. But as for you, gather wine and summer fruits and oil and store them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that you have taken. Likewise, when all the Judeans who were in Moab and among the Ammonites and in Edom and in other lands heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant in Judah and had appointed Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, as governor over them, then all the Judeans returned from all the places to which they had been driven, and came to the land of Judah, to Gedaliah at Mizpah. And they gathered wine and summer fruits in great abundance. Now Jehonan, the son of Kareah, and all the leaders of the forces in the open country, came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, and said to him, Do you know that Baalis, the king of the Ammonites, had sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to take your life? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, would not believe them. Then Jehonan, the son of Kareah, spoke secretly to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Please let me go and strike down Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he take your life, so that all the Judeans who are gathered about you would be scattered, and the remnant of Judah would perish. 
But Gedaliah the son of Ahikam said to Jehanan the son of Kareah, You shall not do this thing, for you are speaking falsely of Ishmael. Chapter 41 Gedaliah Murdered In the seventh month Ishmael the son of Nethaniah, son of Elishama of the royal family, one of the chief officers of the king, came with ten men to Gedaliah the son of Ahikam at Mizpah. As they ate bread together there at Mizpah, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men with him rose up and struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, with the sword, and killed him, whom the king of Babylon had appointed governor in the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Judeans who were with Gedaliah at Mizpah, and the Chaldean soldiers who happened to be there. On the day after the murder of Gedaliah, before anyone knew of it, eighty men arrived from Shechem and Shiloh and Samaria, with their beards shaved, and their clothes torn, and their bodies gashed, bringing grain offerings and incense to present at the temple of the Lord. And Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, came out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he came. As he met them, he said to them, Come in to Gedaliah the son of Ahikam. When they came into the city, Ishmael the son of Nathaniah and the men with him slaughtered them and cast them into a cistern. But there were ten men among them who said to Ishmael, Do not put us to death, for we have stores of wheat, barley, oil, and honey hidden in the fields. So he refrained and did not put them to death with their companions. Now the cistern into which Ishmael had thrown all the bodies of the men whom he had struck down along with Gedaliah was the large cistern that King Asa had made for defense against Baasha, king of Israel. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, filled it with the slain. Then Ishmael took captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, the king's daughters and all the people who were left at Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah the son of Ahikam. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, took them captive and set out to cross over to the Ammonites. But when Jehanan, the son of Kareah, and all the leaders of the forces with him heard of all the evil that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done, they took all their men and went to fight against Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah. They came upon him at the great pool that is in Gibeon. And when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the leaders of the forces with him, they rejoiced. So all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around and came back, and went to Johanan, the son of Kareah. But Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men, and went to the Ammonites. Then Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the leaders of the forces with him, took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, soldiers, women, children, and eunuchs, whom Johanan brought back from Gibeon. And they went and stayed at Garuth Kimham, near Bethlehem, intending to go to Egypt, because of the Chaldeans. For they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. 
And this concludes our reading of today's portion from the Old Testament from the book of Jeremiah. Today's reading covered the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians and the aftermath. Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, came to the throne after his two older brothers, Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, and his nephew Jehoiakim. Zedekiah's original name was Mataniah. Nebuchadnezzar deported Jehoiakim to Babylon and made Mataniah king instead, changing his name to Zedekiah. He ruled eleven years, from 597 to 586 B.C. We learn that the siege against Jerusalem lasted approximately two years, from the ninth year of Zedekiah to the eleventh year, January 15, 588 to July 18, 586 B.C. The city endured horrible deprivation. A breach in the city wall was made on the eleventh year, fourth month, and ninth day. King Zedekiah and some of his army fled, but the Chaldeans caught up with them on the plains of Jericho. Zedekiah was brought to Nebuchadnezzar at Riblah in Syria, 65 miles north of Damascus and 200 miles north of Jerusalem. There the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah and the nobles of Judah before Zedekiah's eyes, and then Nebuchadnezzar put out Zedekiah's eyes, taking him as a prisoner in chains to Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 7. This fulfilled the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13. I will also spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he will not see it, though he will die there. The Chaldeans burned the palace and the houses and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried the Judeans into their years of exile in Babylon, leaving behind only a remnant of poor people for whom was provided permission to cultivate vineyards and fields to sustain themselves. God sent word through Jeremiah to Ebed-Melech, the Cushite who had previously intervened on Jeremiah's behalf, that he would be delivered from harm as the Babylonians attacked, because you have put your trust in me. Jeremiah 39, verse 18. This is the first account of an Ethiopian eunuch recorded in the Bible. We read of the conversion of another Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 25 through 40. Jeremiah's reputation preceded him. Nebuchadnezzar gave express orders to preserve the life of the prophet Jeremiah. They found him mistakenly being taken captive to Babylon. Bezuzaradan released him and gave Jeremiah the option of going to Babylon or to go wherever he pleased, even being offered an allowance of food and a royal gift. In Jeremiah chapter 40, verse 5, Jeremiah decided to stay in Jerusalem, where Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, had been appointed as governor. Ten assassins in the service of the Ammonite king Baalis, and headed up by Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, rise up and kill Gedaliah. In Jeremiah chapter 41, verse 2, former soldiers of Gedaliah had warned Gedaliah of the plot to have him assassinated, but Gedaliah chose not to believe them. In Jeremiah chapter 40, verses 13 through 16, Ishmael and his men fill a large cistern with the bodies of the men that they killed along with Gedaliah. We are told that it was the cistern that King Asa had built for his defense against King Baasha of Israel. 
Later, Ishmael takes hostage the king's daughters and those who were left behind in Mizpah, probably pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. When Johanan, the son of Kareah, heard of these evil deeds, he attempts to kill Ishmael and his men. He rescues the hostages in chapter 41, verse 13, kills two of Ishmael's men, but Ishmael escapes and flees to the Ammonites. Now let's go to today's reading from the New Testament, Paul's second letter to Timothy, and we begin chapter 1 with verse 1, and we will read through to verse 18. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. And this concludes our reading from today's portion from the New Testament, Paul's second letter to Timothy. As far as we know, this epistle, Paul's second letter to Timothy, is his last written correspondence. Paul is experiencing his final imprisonment, and he knows that he will die soon. He senses that the time of his departure is at hand in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. His previous imprisonment was much more bearable. In his former imprisonment in Rome, he received visitors while under house arrest in Acts chapter 28, verse 16, verse 23, and verse 30, and continued to teach. Now he was chained in a cold, dark, miserable prison. The Roman emperor Nero 
had begun his relentless persecution of Christians. In 64 AD, Nero was passing the blame for the great fire of Rome from himself to the Christians. A fierce persecution of Christians spread throughout the empire and included social ostracism, beatings, and horrific torture. Paul was about to be beheaded. He writes what was to be his final letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. Paul encourages Timothy to come and visit him before he is executed. He remembers Timothy's sincere faith and encourages him to stand strong. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and self-discipline. Timothy should not shy away from proclaiming Christ. He should not be ashamed of the gospel, nor be ashamed of Paul, the Lord's prisoner. The gospel did what nothing else could do, saved us and called us to a holy calling, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, abolishing death and bringing life and immortality to light. The gospel takes the guesswork of how a person can be made right with God and have confidence that believers can stand clean before the Lord on the great day of His coming. He encourages Timothy to keep on keeping on. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul gives Timothy an update on how many have turned away from him, but cites Onesiphorus as a refreshing exception. Without fear of repercussions, Onesiphorus went out of his way, coming from Ephesus, where Timothy was pastoring, to Rome, boldly seeking Paul's whereabouts so he can visit him often in jail. What a precious reminder of the value of prison ministry. Now let's move on to our next stop on our Bible reading tour to the book of Psalms, Psalm 90, verses 1 through chapter 91, verse 16. Book 4 of the book of Psalms, From Everlasting to Everlasting, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many as days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. 
Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And this concludes our reading from the book of Psalms. Warren Wiersbe writes this about Psalm 90, quote, This is the oldest psalm in the Psalms, and it was written by Moses, the man of God. It deals with themes that began with the fall of our first parents and will continue to be important and puzzling until the return of our Savior, the eternal God and frail humans, a holy God and sinful man, life and death, and the meaning of life in a confused and difficult world. End quote. Psalm 90 begins the fourth book of Psalms and contains songs of the wilderness. This psalm most likely was written after the children of Israel rejected the report of Joshua and Caleb at Kadesh Barnea, opting to believe the majority report of unbelief about the land God had promised them. The result would be years in the wilderness sand instead of the promised land. A whole generation would perish in the wilderness experiencing God's holy chastisement. Moses wants to dignify the trials of their wilderness wanderings and learn their lessons. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury, according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verses 11 and 12. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us, and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Psalm 90, verses 15 and 16. Now let's read Psalm 91 My Refuge and My Fortress He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon this wonderful psalm. Psalm 91 reminds us that we can have confidence through all kinds of challenges, dangers, and hardships if we put our trust in the Lord. We have a true refuge of genuine fellowship with the Lord as we say to Him, You are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
You may remember that Satan quoted to Jesus verses 11 and 12 of this psalm out of their proper context when he was tempting him in the wilderness to step out of his disposition of trust in God the Father. He wanted Jesus to authenticate that he was the Messiah by putting himself in a situation where he would have to be rescued by angels to survive, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5-7. through 7. Satan was twisting the meaning of Scripture, using God's Word to manipulate God's servant. Submit to God, not a Bible-quoting devil. The true meaning is that there is safety if we are trusting and obeying the revealed will of God. Jesus was not on the earth to force the Father's hand, but to do the Father's will. This psalm challenges us with these questions. Are you abiding in Him? Are you trusting Him? Do you call on Him in faith? Have you made Him your dwelling place, your refuge? Do you truly recognize His name, His self-revelation in the Word of God? Now let's move on to our final stop in our reading tour today, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. Like snow in summer, or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. Let's honor what is truly honorable and disregard any curse without cause. Now let's go before the Lord in the light of His Word. Father, thank you for taking the guesswork out of how guilty sinners can be made right with you and stand clean before you on the day of your Son's coming. Through the work of your Son, you have accomplished what we could not do for ourselves. You have provided a perfect solution to the problem of our dilemma. You have rescued us from ourselves. Truly, you are our refuge and the one in whom we trust. Help us to live in such a way, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that all we do and say brings honor to you, the one to whom it is truly due. In Jesus' name, amen. We've covered a lot of territory today, and we are looking forward to continuing with the book of Jeremiah and Paul's second letter to Timothy tomorrow, as well as our daily visits to the book of Psalms and Proverbs. If you have any questions or comments, you're always welcome to contact us by email by writing podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to receive a daily email with a written copy of our commentary with illustrations, you can always subscribe at our website, newlife.org. So may the God of peace grant you peace. His peace he has left with us, and his peace abides in us. Shalom. Shalom.